Well, hello there, and thank you for tapping into this episode of Bandwidth Coast to Coast. I'll sometimes from time to time wonder what life was like during one of the many technological revolutions that have happened throughout the course of time. Did folks know how connected we would become as a nation or a global species when the first telephone call was made? I think about that when I think about the Battle of New Orleans, of which Andrew Jackson won a resounding victory over the British after a peace treaty was signed. Words simply just didn't make it there in time to stop the bloodshed. Or another technology that's seemingly as innocuous as a stirrup for riding a horse. Whole cities worth of people were murdered, literally countries formed because of a simple invention of having a foothold on a horse, giving way for more armor on the rider, and what was essential to the precursor of tanks, heavy cavalry. What about the plow? Simple technology again, in hindsight, but allowing for a single farmer to significantly increase the amount of land they can farm. Were the people back then chatting around with friends and family, musing about all the changes that would come about from the Normans having stirrups and the impact that would have on wars? Or how the plow would lead to greater populations in Europe, thus meaning a larger army available for conquest? Or how the telephone would mean that the pace of events, business, culture would all accelerate? Similarly, the acceleration that occurred with the printing press before it and more contemporary times, social media. The funny thing to me about the time we're living in is many of the technology advancements we currently have come from iterations with information technology, something that has usurped the very concept of technology altogether. Like when I say I work in tech, people understand that as ones and zeros, when in reality, it would typically mean anything in the time of technology, from plows to belts, and has come to mean only information technology. And in that realm, consider for a moment algorithms, where we as users are unaware of the change when an advertisement on a web page was driven by an algo instead of a person, or your Facebook timeline, when it was shifted from followers and time to another algorithm trying to steer you towards outrage. The vast majority of us were unaware of it, but the results from the revolution are nonetheless something that we're still reeling with. How we interact with one another has been impacted, and everything from the products we buy, people we talk with, interests we gain, held the very fabric of how we spend our time has changed. This brings me to the idea of blockchain, and the changes that blockchain is bringing the foundation of the web as we know it, subsequently called Web3. A pretty significant, growing, but still small group of dedicated people are fundamentally rewriting how the internet is structured and interfaces with another through the blockchain. And the change that's coming is great, but with many of the information technology improvements, it's not as easy to get as a telephone or a plow, and it's happening seemingly invisible. To me, and something that's come out of the conversation you're about to listen to, should you stick around for it, is the idea that blockchain and the smart contracts written to make the real power of it come about is providing a new open source syntax for people to exchange ideas. Put another way, because everyone can read the code and see how it's functioning, 
and from that create a function on the blockchain that has a set framework to do it, a language of communicating between systems, people, and even more revolutionary a concept with blockchain economies is now emerging, which would mean that exchanging ideas across the globe built up on a new network to do so is emerging right out in the open, but seemingly underground because many aspects of our current web would go out the window, like being able to erase data, such as the New York Times being able to alter or delete one of the articles that they own on their website. In Web3, you can do that, but there's a record of that change, a record that the single entity doesn't own, meaning the original content is still available. Today, it's not. Will NFTs become an asset? that people will stack up early in life to later transform as an investment vehicle in the same way that 40 years ago, folks would purchase a starter home only to sell that home for one that fits kids and then sell that for their quote, dream home. What changes would all of this and Web3 bring? Likely many, the opportunity ahead is vast. When and what though is only for time to tell. For this episode, you'll hear the second part of my conversation with returning guest Rowan Price. We go deep on all things Web3, centering mostly around another great podcast episode from Tim Ferriss' show, where he's talking with Naval Ravikant and Chris Dixon. I put the link to the show in the show notes, and I really suggest anyone who's interested to also dive into that episode. As Rowan and I talk, though, we go back and forth on a few things. Rowan, an alumnus of the early stages of the dot-com boom and bust, has a really novel perspective on the revolutionary moment in Web3. We talk about everything from what can be built on Web3, what NFTs are, smart contracts, why these are really novel advancements that are way bigger than just the headlines of some shitty JPEG fetching millions at auction. Before sliding into a concept that Rowan presents on how Web3 is really a Trojan horse for legacy companies to give legitimacy to Web3, while in essence sowing the seeds for their very destruction. While somewhere in the middle, Rowan asks me what I think about Web3 and if it'll make the rich richer, or if it brings opportunity to the less fortunate, before somewhere at the end closing on why everyone should be using the Brave web browser, not only for its native Web3 features, but lack of surveillance. Thank you as always for your time, dear listener. Thank you, Rowan, for recording with me. Hope this finds you well. Real quick before the episode begins, if you like what you hear, please tap that follow or subscribe button. You also can find this episode, all episodes in the series, or check out our daily minute podcast by visiting us at Bandwidth.productions. Excellent. I really just jumped into it. I gave you barely any warning once I finally did it. Uh, <laughs> well, thanks Hi, again John. for uh, part two, since we had to cut it uh, short last time, both because of a client obligation I had and my bladder, which was about to explode. Um, but uh, thank you again. 
And before we chat, I'm gonna try to I'm gonna try to not have you game this question, uh, which uh-huh. is in the past month, can you tell me a time that you've been truly content, like truly in a state of contentment? Well, thanks for having me back, first of all. Um, so if I were to trying to game the question, I would say I mean, the, the state of contentment came when I was invited to the, uh, <laughs> the Bandwidth Coast to Coast podcast. I'm invited back. <laughs> I was like, this is so great. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I, I have to say, uh, you know, being a, a, a lifelong basketball player, I think the first day that I was able to get back out to the main city park basketball court i didn't play but because i didn't have the the right clothing the right gear um which doesn't always deter me from playing basketball actually i think i've played in combat boots before (laughs) but (laughs) but uh just sitting at the edge of, of the court um just watching it just being there feeling good um people from all over my um, my acquaintance bogdan from serbia six five uh great arc on his jump shot hardly ever hits the rim but he can drive to the rim and he plays really aggressive but no it was it was that that feeling of of just it was a you know i kind of i kind of cheated because to to get to my contentment I relied on season the seasonality, so I relied on sp- mm. that that spring day experience. But that's it was it was certainly a content a content feeling. It was it was uh, it's the best one I can think of in the last month. I like that a lot. Um, it's okay to rely on the seasonality of things. That's probably means you're more in tune with stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, it's so funny that we've known each other since. 2017 i think i figured out when i was thinking about this uh it was either the november of 17 or like somewhere sometime between november of 17 and february of 18 and i know that for certainty it's within that range because of something i'll get into when we start actually talking about our topic that i'll make sure we get to this time um but uh and i haven't seen you ever in person which is funny but yeah, I, amazing. yeah, I know. But when we do, we got to play basketball because the two of us are, are both people who like to casually play, play basketball for our whole lives, Definitely. which is a funny, yeah. funny idiosyncrasy. Yeah, for sure. And actually, I think that another, um, another coincidence is that we met around a web three topic. I, I believe you, you had done yes. a video diagram of, of blockchain and I was I was like, that's cool. You made it so simple. And then we started talking about that. And which that is what I was is. thinking about. Yeah, which is what I was thinking about, which was ironic when I asked you to talk about this. And then when I was like prepping my thoughts to think about like things I wanted to bring up, um, I was like, oh shit. Like we actually met because I did a little, like a video of, which was just like a cartoon essentially of just blocks being yeah. put together. Um, explaining the consensus mechanism and why blockchain is uber secure, um, but then also how you can have it be not secure. Um, but that was like the whole video of it. And then you commented on LinkedIn 
And mm-hmm. honestly, I don't exactly know from there what we talked, but I was, I know I was doing like a series trying to get clients um, of just stuff about blockchain and like the, yeah. I was doing it like <clears throat> a couple of years too early because like Ethereum really hadn't taken hold. Um, and there wasn't really like, you know, a way to make it to cheaply develop with blockchain. There's still really, I mean, there's still a way it's, it's not no longer cost prohibitive back then. It almost was cost prohibitive. And mostly it was because you couldn't figure out how long it would take to build something. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I was thinking about that and that was really funny. And that's how I know it was between that December of seven or November of 17 and February of 18. Cause that was like, uh, as, yeah. I, that was as long as I was doing those little videos. Uh, for- that's right. Right. Yeah. Which another, another irony is we met on LinkedIn, which I consider to be a kind of a cesspool of an online platform um, because most of the content is, is, is insults the intelligence, but I'm, I think probably every day there's some, something really brilliant said on there. It's just finding it. And so, and you know, someone who's really interesting saying something, um, you know, worth listening to. So I just got lucky that day. So that's true. I try to use my LinkedIn for that. It's to varying degrees of unsuccessful, but, uh, I think all social media platforms just varying degrees of cesspools. It's just how how deep is this shit? Yeah. Does it go up to your knees or are you up to your waist or yeah. where are you at? Like, it's, like Twitter, I think, is like nipple high of shit that you're wading through. Like, <laughs> yeah. Only some stuff at the top. Uh, and that's I about quit it. I using it. I used it. I used Twitter fairly heavily from like 2007 to 2010. And then I trickled down and I, I think. 2015, I quit all socials. Then I rejoined LinkedIn, but I quit all socials and I never, never really used Twitter since. So I actually don't, I feel like I'm probably somewhat um, under qualified to address the kind of day to day news cycle aspect of Web3 because I don't use Twitter and I, I don't follow tech news very assiduously. Uh, most of my knowledge comes from working directly with Web3 clients, like blockchain clients, NFT clients, um, that kind of stuff, crypto clients. And then I do some reading about it and I listen to shows. You recommended a great a great show, a, a podcast interview with Tim Ferriss with um, a couple of domain experts. That was really interesting. Yeah, I'm going to pull that up because I want to make sure that I get, I know one of them was Nabal. Um Naval Ravikan, but I want to. Yeah, it was the other Chris Dixon name. and Chris Dixon. It was Chris. Yeah, Chris Dixon. He's kind of a uh, <clears throat> startup startup world heavyweight. Yeah, you're right, Chris Dixon. Sweet. Um, so yeah, I mean, we might as well just go into it. I mean, the conversation already steered that way, which is great. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I asked you to watch uh, or listen to Tim Ferriss and Chris Dixon uh, and Naval Ravikant. Uh, the wonders of Web three. Um, like I told you, I'm not that big fan of of uh, Tim Ferriss. Um, I won't slam him too hard, but I'm just not the biggest fan of him. Um, he's but gonna listen to this, and he's just yeah. Anyway, yeah. But um, some people at work uh, were talking about uh, this episode of you know this you know this Web three and how great it was, and that like was the final push after seeing that that interview spread around quite a bit. Um, that I was like, okay, like, I feel like this is going to be, um, kind of just like a, uh, confirmation exercise, but I'll listen to it anyways. Um, 
I guess that's an arrogant thing to think, but that's what I was thinking when I went into it. And, mm-hmm. uh, and it was for the most part, but what it really did was I was like, Oh my God, they are very, and as a preface, I re- if you can explain something to me simply and plainly, um, I'll probably give it the most amount of respect. Cause that's like, you really understand something. Um, and yeah. you're really trying to get it to be understood. And that whole episode was like that, um, very plainly, you know, kind of laying out the problems with the current web architecture, uh, and you know what there you know ways you can kind of game that versus you know what the potential of web three is um so it got me extremely excited um and honestly i sent it to you just because i think it's an interesting exercise in decentralization um and kind of making things more anarchistic in a way uh mm-hmm. and i thought that you would like it a lot for that um and then yeah. i realized and after i said like hey would you listen to this um before we chat, then I realized the whole, like we met because of blockchain, which is ironic. Um, All right, right. So uh, I'm just going to like, the first thing I wanted to tee it up with was what was the biggest takeaway when you think about that episode or web three in general, like, did it spark something and, and give you like a new thought on this whole nebulous, esoteric, overly abused <clears throat> term of web three? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The definitely there's 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 a couple things. Um, one of them was how much how interested they both were, both Naval and Chris Dixon were in the concept, the notion of um, social contracts. Um, and so they talked about obviously they talked about the the smart contract component of an NFT. Um, which I'm assuming uh, we'll, we'll either get into or you know people might be fairly familiar with. It's kind of means what it sounds like it means. Um, but what struck me was the the idea that there's some kind of human inherent human responsibility that's enforced and encouraged through the use of exchanging value using and they're talking a lot about nfts in particular but just using web3 technology in general so this idea that that to do so requires some degree of um, positive social pressure and they he i can't remember who it was i think it was Chris, though, who gave the example of the kind of original big Web3 technology, which I think we could both agree is um, Bitcoin. I don't know if you agree with that, but... Um, well, fun- yes, fundamentally, that is what gave us even the concept of the blockchain. Satoshi, yeah. Satoshi Nakamura's white paper and then, you know, code push of Bitcoin is... I mean, of blockchain. Well, of Bitcoin, I guess, yeah. It's synonymous. It was didn't exist before that white paper. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. So we're on the same page. I think the only way you could, the only way you could detract from that premise is if you said we're not to web three yet, we're, we're at 2.9 or something, but whatever, I think that, and that's splitting hairs probably. So I think, you know, he, his, his concept was that, you know, we both agree when we, when we perform activities related to um, Bitcoin, whether it's, um, you know, using it, uh, whether it's exchanging uh, a token from between one person or ex- exchanging the access to a token um, 
from one person to another or whether it's actually performing token mining um, that we're we're assuming everyone who's doing this together is assuming that the tokens that we're working with have some value and it's kind of like um i mean it's he's making the same point about that you can make about about fiat currency which is that there's there's this um cooperative assumption and understanding that we share that makes it work um i we both agree that money means something that's easy um but to kind of that agreement so rapidly and so quickly over something so new that's that's pretty that's different and that's interesting that was the big takeaway that concept that it creates and enforces social contracts among people that, in a new way um yeah that's an, yeah that's fascinating to me i i get so practical technology that I, I just get obsessed about how to build something with it um but that is fundamentally from a like user experience in the most purest sense of like what is the soul getting out of it uh what is a soul getting out of it um it is that exchange which is really what all of like i think about this when i think about like just i guess in this concept of the one two three i guess web two um but really what that just means is like communications technology right and i think about that and sometimes i get a bit obsessed thinking about how all of what I do for a living is just passing information around because that's basically what it is. Like you click something, yeah. something gets done, something gets, you know, processed, it gets triggered into this other set of things. Um, I mean, even like HTML and, you know, JS and CSS, when I'm looking at, when I look at a web screen, it's just little different bits of information of how colors and pixels should be aligned. Like that's ultimately well, what you're doing. If you, if you look outside yourself from the pr perspective of an alien who's just landed on earth and he looks at you and he looks at a customer service rep for Amazon who's in the Philippines working at a computer terminal, doesn't look that different. You're both mm -hmm. just exchanging information through the terminal. It's just what, what is it? Right. And even what the terminal is displaying is just exchanging information of what it should, you know, what someone has said certain things should yeah. do. If it's a, how the web page reacts or, you know, the colors that are displayed on it um, or like, you know, clicking this button starts this event which does this, like all of it is just information um exactly yeah. so you decide yeah. what you want to put in and what you want to get out yeah um and like are, are you familiar with brave browser at all um thanks to you i am yes oh, okay um so yeah so the premise of anyone who's listening who doesn't know what brave is um so all web browsers except for brave not all because there's some like that are like really out there but all mainstream you would know about and or come up in casual conversation or see somebody use are surveillance web browsers um, and what that means is that they are watching literally everything you are doing and it's getting reported to some degree of the people that site you're on the people who have a who have essentially a cookie which is another form of a contract with your web browser that says, you know, now that you've gone to this site, if you go anywhere else on the web, that is going to send that information to the site you went on sometime. Mm -hmm. So like if you go on Nike.com and then from Nike.com, you go all over the web route. Since you went to Nike.com, it is now tracking you everywhere. And that is possible because of, you know, protocols and the hardware or the software physically built into that web browser. Um, so Chrome is the worst. I just recently... Um, found out and almost like flipped, flipped a bunch of tables, especially since the fact that went past me for so long is that Mozilla is like no different now than Chrome. Um, 
So Firefox is no different than Chrome, which is that it's sucking everything up and it's giving it away to advertisers or really anybody who builds a smart way to, to capture that information. Um, Brave yeah. doesn't do any of that. It's built on the and same. Oh, go ahead. The DuckDuckGo Duck, Duck, mobile browser, your, what's your take on it? Just throw it away. Um, I, I, I was a DuckDuckGo proponent until I realized that they were uh, basically propagandizing, like determining what shows up in the news feed, news feed. I saw that coming for a few months, but I didn't see that coming a year ago. So like their DuckDuckGo's is like, you know, they were like, even, you know, we're not, we're not tracking you. We're not doing that, which they're not, they're not tracking you. Um, but the thing is, is that they are not, a, well, okay. So let me close the, the, uh, thing on web browsers and then I can come back sure, to DuckDuckGo yeah, if it sure, comes up. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't use DuckDuckGo. Brave actually has its own search engine, uh, which is search.brave.com or if it's native, okay. if you use the Brave browser. Um, and I encourage everybody to use that, even even if you're not using the Brave browser. Um, it's an actual search engine. DuckDuckGo is not. It is a database that tries to draw connections. Um, and then fundamentally, if those connections don't come up with a good score, it uses Bing. Bing now uses Google. So you're actually still not getting away from Google if you use DuckDuckGo. It's just you're abstracting yourself a few more that. things. Yeah. I didn't know that. Wow. Mm -hmm. yeah, I knew that Yahoo used Bing. I didn't know that DuckDuckGo used Bing. I didn't know Yahoo that now used uses Google. Google. All of it is Google. Bing is now Google. Yeah. If you search Bing, it's using some of the the database from Bing legacy, but but they signed a secret agreement, literally secret agreement with Google. Google has so many Google. brands. It's and the whole tech tech industry is very incestuous. Um, yeah. Okay, so if you use Brave browser though, the kernel of Brave is Chromium. Chromium is the same thing that Chrome is built on, which is what Google uses. It's very mm -hmm. similar to say like Linux, like Mac is Linux but it's its own version of Linux is the yeah. same as saying is like Chromium and Chrome, like Chrome in this analogy would be Mac. And then Brave right. would be like, I'm using Fedora, right? Um, like a different Linux distro. Sure. Um, the reason I bring all of that up is there's something built into Brave. There's wallets and crypto is built into Brave. So it is a Web3 browser, which is very interesting. Um, but they have this thing called a basic attention token, a bat. And what it means is, is like, if I open up a, a new tab, I can get a shuffle between this beautiful Vista I'm looking at, or it could be an ad, right? And I'm allowing sure. that. So I'm allow I have it turned on partially because I'm curious. Um, yeah. So I get ads. And if I'm using the web browser, I'll get those little toast notifications that come up and give me an ad, right? So I am getting ads. Um, but because I'm getting those ads served to me, right? And I turned that on, I'm actually earning tokens. So I'm mm -hmm. earning ah. these basic attention tokens. Um, and it's about like a dollar a token right now in the exchange is what they're worth, okay? Um, so I, I think like between all of my browsers, because I have, dude, I have so many devices, to be honest. I have like, I, I, I'm, on work, I have to use a, a Mac. Um, and then absolutely, as soon as I can, you know, shove that thing in a closet, I, I turn it off and then I use my, 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 my computer, my development computer, but I do most of my projects mm -hmm. on, um, and some of my clients with, uh, and you know, that's Linux. My, I have a, a iPhone. That's my daily driver. Um, I have another Linux phone that I'm, 
uh, shifting towards. I have a couple other like old nice. uh, Apple devices that I've like disconnected from the mobile internet and they're only connected to like Wi-Fi. So I use one of those. Um, so I have all of that. So between all of those different things comprise like my actual search and internet experience, I have probably like two basic attention tokens um, in the past two months, right? So I have mm-hmm. been about, I guess, like one token a month. Um, because so all the devices worth- are using Brave? Yes. Yeah. So like I'm looking at my, you know, work or my development machine and it's, I got like half a basic attention token through the month. And these are actual, these are actual web three tokens. These are, I could exchange it for what it is the value of and the value of it is about a dollar. Um, So the point that I bring it up is that to your point, like the social contract, right? Like right now, the contract I have with Google, because Google is essentially owns the ad internet space pretty much. Mm -hmm. Right. Or Apple, in some degree, because Apple is, if I'm like searching something on my phone, it is serving you me ads the, in search. The ad internet space? Yeah, Google owns it. Yeah, Google Google and Facebook. Google and Facebook. Facebook has a large share too. It's diminishing, but yeah, they do. Um, it's, yeah. it's mostly like Google. So um, they get to serve me whatever I want. I can never turn that off, right? If I'm searching right. on Google and I'm in that ecosystem, um, it's siphoning everything off of me that I don't know. It's siphoning everything I don't know about me. Um, and it's serving really targeted ads. I don't know how much those ads, they're, are, you know, how much are they actually spending those ads on? How much money they're making on me? I have no idea. Um, but what's interesting is if you, siphon, you know, switch into this Web3 world, now all of a sudden, it's commodifying my attention. And I'm actually becoming part of it. It's extremely small. But that's also because, I mean, I think Brave is like less than, I mean, it's probably 1% of people on the internet use Brave. It's not that big. Maybe 2%. Yeah. I really don't even think that. Um, so it's small, the amount of people that are using it, um, which just means the economy is small on it. But if you were to scale it, you know, to the same size of what Google is, like that would be massive, right? So then all of a sudden the ecosystem would build up because most of the ads I get now are like crypto ads. Um, mm-hmm. But the interesting thing with that is that you're now... Dis, you're, you're disconnecting essentially directly from this main feed of somebody else taking ownership of ad space, you, you know, getting siphoned them and instead saying, you're now an active player in here. You have a wallet address, which means that's what we're going to, you know, connect who you are is you're like actually giving us open protocol of who you are essentially. Yeah. Um, and then we're going to give you ads and then get in there. The other thing with Brave that's great is, there's no personal, no personalization. So it's, it's a crapshoot for advertisers as to like who you are and how targeted the ad can be. Right. So the ads are served on based, based on the content. Essentially. Yeah. As opposed yeah. to who you are or your right. profile or a picture of who you are. Right. Cool. I see. So it's a, it's a web three. It's kind of like, um, it's a web three approach to exchanging, uh, it's it's exchanging value for your attention directly not that much right now but um i see so but it's but it's also well yeah so it's 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 um it's it's giving you ads in exchange for your attention as well as a web3 token right right well because there has to be some means of exchange right there has to be some information exchange right Mm-hmm. And in this case, you know, there has to be a value to it, which is this token, right? 
the, the token of the concept of tokens is really the concept of exchanging value, right? So you're giving me something, I'm giving you something back. There has to be an equal yeah. exchange in order for the blockchain to work. Yeah, um, you said you had a lot of devices too, and they're all using Brave. I wanted to ask you about that um, with respect to Web3. I think one of the one of the criticisms. So you know, listening to that the podcast you recommended, the Tim Ferriss podcast with Naval and Chris Dixon, um, the cynical take is these three people are extremely wealthy, and they are able to they have access to information as well, they're, they're wealthy and they're technically savvy that gives them access to information and they just have they have capital to invest in web3 assets which may or may not be the point i don't want to load the question i don't want to um i don't want to like guide guide your answer but um it seems like you know you think about the fact maybe up to 58 percent of uh americans u.s americans are at at or near the poverty 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 line um is it really that how high do they now? Act, that's, that's startling maybe it's not that high would let's say it's 28 percent, or maybe 58 percent is prediction it might be post, paycheck to paycheck post ukraine war um really <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah. uh, um <clears throat> whatever the number is i mean and most people don't have the same access as these people who are you know uh, so who I don't think that I don't think that these are the kinds of people that would that would want to deny anyone else access to Web three assets. And I don't think that you know Web three assets and wealth is the only point or the main point at all of Web three, or in terms of its potential. But you know, how do you is is that an issue with so Web three? The I think what we both like about it is it's supposed to decentralize. It, it can decentralize. Um, and it can make us, it can enable us to make agreements between one another with technical and social contracts, as opposed to relying on the centralized authorities and who enforce agreements with militaries and police and prisons mm -hmm. and so on. Um, so but how, how do how do people access that i mean people without means that's that's one of the issues right now like most most people don't have access to web3 it seems like through their device even well partly through their hardware and partly mostly through knowledge i think it is yeah what do you think it's mostly knowledge um yeah. i mean anytime uh, i think there's just certain fundamental truths that are i i don't think there's any fortune or misfortune or unfortune uh, fortunate things to uh, things that happen in time um, and, and developments. Um, so I think one of the things that just happens that I think is just a truth is that new shifts in technological paradigms tend to mean that the people who are the wealthy or elite class um, prior to the technological development um, have an opportunity to either jump at the new technology and become you know, quote unquote, an early adopter. Um, and depending on how much of their fortune, meaning the capital that they put into it, they could potentially have like massive returns, right? Like Carnegie, 
right? Like Andrew Carnegie is a great example of somebody who mm-hmm. wasn't fortunate, didn't have money, but jumps in at the right time, which also is possible with new technologies. New technologies also mean, you know, the optional development towards it. Um, I think something that is, you know, an unfortunate example of this is quantum computing. I think quantum computing, you have to have millions and billions of dollars in order to get involved in it. And it is mm-hmm. such a massive leap forward um, as far as computational power, which then equates to, you know, ability to do things um, that, for example, I don't think there could be an Andrew Carnegie of quantum computing. Um, and I think quantum computing is, it has the potential to like fundamentally I mean, just breeds so much chaos and completely changed the way everything is, is gone uh, to a pretty alarming and scary degree. Um, so that, I think, is an example where, you know, you can't have an Andrew Carnegie, but if you have a Bill Gates that invests, invests into it, they can own, you know, the space, which would mean more wealth and more exuberance for that person. Um, I think Web3 is kind of like a... a honestly, I think it's a type of technology revolution that we've never seen before. Um, and it sounds, that sounds really hyperbolic, but what I mean by that is, um, okay. App development around 2012. Okay. Mobile app development was huge. Um, I was getting into tech, you know, I've done some HTML coding before that I taught myself. I really want to get into, you know, developing on iPhones. There wasn't that many resources for me to go and teach myself, right? There was maybe Mm -hmm. YouTube, but there wasn't that many YouTube videos, the idea of somebody who their job is creating videos and teaching people online with like Umidy or YouTube wasn't really that much of a thing back then. That was only 10 years ago. Right. Yeah. Um, so the barrier to entry was high, right. Meaning like, Oh man, I, there's no format for this type of consumption that you know, I'm looking for. Um, I mean, like it was just getting out of the era of going to life libraries to like, you know, find books and research things. Um, so the barrier totally. to entry to like that, you know, web two world of, you know, building apps and all that kind of stuff um, was quite high. You know, I probably, if I, you know, went into it, I could have, you know, dove into API development and built different types of web two apps on my own um, at that time than it was, you know, just strictly mobile apps, right? Yeah. Even still the ecosystem of knowledge around it wasn't quite there even 10 years ago. Where now what I think you have is you have the ease of anyone with a laptop can you know even a chromebook um can develop an app now you're right that's possible mm-hmm. um but you know the fundamental difference with web3 is you know multifold which is there's now an ecosystem of people that if you're interested and curious and aware of it which means chance that really means chance right <laughs> like the chance that you have mm-hmm. a happenstance to brush <clears throat> shoulders with somebody if you're poor and, and you know not too mentally bogged down from your troubles and traumas uh, mm-hmm. that you can like be open to that, to be able to like go and do it. Right. Um, yeah. but I think there's way more of an ecosystem of being able to get tapped into it. Um, building on web three means you're building something decentralized, which means your network layer kind of goes away. Um, and you just have to learn how to write to a shared network, as opposed to having to stand mm-hmm. up that whole infrastructure yourself. Um, you still probably will have to do some of that. Um, in order to like make it work for whatever it is that you're doing, right? Um, so I'm incredibly hopeful, uh, most hopeful for people who are like younger, which is why anytime I meet somebody that's younger, I always try to get them interested in Web3 and developing in some degree. Because even if you don't want to be a coder, understanding it is going to be like fundamental to, you know, maintaining flexibility yeah. in the economy going forward. Yeah. Um, 
but uh you know, I, and then there's also that ecosystem of I'm going to go watch these videos. I'm going to understand these concepts. I'm going to go run through a couple of hello world, you know, development exercises. Um, and then you could build something. If it's something of value, you could potentially start making money on it, right? Because it's tokenized and you can, you know, subscribe, you, know, you can write it on a chain like Ethereum or Polkadot or Chainlink. Um, and then, you know, you eventually will have to put some money into it in order to write transactions. But there's many ways in which you can try to, you know, collect money through mining or staking or all of these different types of things. Like I, I'm sure. incredibly hopeful that, you know, you will have some people like Tim Ferriss um, or Chris Dixon or Naval who invest early in things and become like fantastically wealthy. Um, mm -hmm. But unlike other things, especially nowadays where it takes either a lot of time um, or a lot of, you know, energy or a lot of effort, um, Web3, you know, allows you to be able to do something. Okay, so here's another example. Um, I know I know computer vision very well, right? Like I could right. develop you an app in computer vision. Um, that you need to have a good computer. You know, you need a good computer to be able to uh, do yeah. training. Um, and if you don't have a good computer, you can do stuff with the cloud, but then you're going to have to pay money and it's going to be fantastically expensive. You have to collect data sets, which you can either download data sets online, you can download YouTube videos and collect it yourself. But then now that means time and you're going to need a lot of it. You're going to have to sift through it or you can generate it yourself, which means you're going to have to have a camera um, and then you're going to have to set up the right occurrences, which means time and money. So like all of those things have a higher barrier to entry than just saying, I'm going to build a really cool novel app that solves, some, yeah, solves sure. something on Web3. Um, sure. And I mean, like it's it's grasping at error as far as like some of these applications of what that could be. I could riff and tell you some that, you know, that are like examples that I use, but uh, that is what? to say any, any new technology, you have to solve problems. The iPhone, people weren't thinking of having an app that tracks your running and tells you your running splits, but now you can have that on there. Someone just has to think of it. And I think there's opportunity for that web three was a long and hopefully think, right. Answer. No, that's, that's a good answer. Like, and I think it's accurate. You, you, um, you need some luck and you need some some modicum of capital, but you don't need to be fantastically wealthy to, to, to access the potential of Web3. I think something that is maybe heartening to people looking to break into the world, too, is there's this there's this thread that goes back to Web 1.0 and 2.0, which um, is the open source open source world. And something that's, as you know, John, something that's really cool about the open source world, I um I know a lot about one particular project called Drupal, which is kind of like an enterprise uh, web web CMS framework and and software product. Drupal um, also has its own social contracts, and they're all kind of referred to collectively as the quote unquote Drupal way. And it's the way you hmm. communicate with each other, and the way you you talk about things and do things, and how you define terminology together. And um, what's true of Drupal and many other open source projects from Fedora to, uh, you know, to, to uh, the original, original Apache web server, also open source, um, is that there's this sense of community. And I think that's there with Web3 too. I mean, you, you, the most visible place is you go to Twitter and you see the NFT creator community because they're super visible and loud. And the, the sentiment there that I think is naturally occurring because there's no real central leader of the NFT movement, right? It's 
just happening organically, but there is certainly the sentiment that we're a community, we're in on this together and we're gonna help each other. And yeah, maybe some of that's bullshit, um, but there, it, it's real actually most of it is real, even if some of it's bullshit. So there, and I think that that comes from open source. And I think web three is draws on open source in so far as it's decentralized, because even with, even with the architecture of blockchain, it, it, it mimics the typical open source project where you've got the core code base for a given. So for Drupal, there's a core code base. There might be thousands. There's probably, Oh, millions of instances of that code base existing all around the world because it's free you download it to your computer and it's also composable right like you can add modules and pieces same with wordpress wordpress is also an open source project that's composable and that's a that's a part of that's a part of web3 too there's a lot of parallels between open source and I would even say that Web3 builds on the open source tradition. I well, think it, it's, it is. It is. It's an essential source. building block. Of no, it. I mean, it is. It is yeah, open source. It's, it's synonymous. Yeah. It's synonymous. But I guess what's interesting is that open source really was a, was a huge driver of Web2 and Web1. I mean, a huge, like if you look at WordPress, WordPress, I think it's one out of every three or four websites on the planet is a WordPress website. So it's, you know, it's Apache maybe you know also a huge percentage of, of total websites served by apache um etc so if, if you took out open source you'd have no internet fundamentally so like like i, I right. mean i can say that definitively because i mean okay chromium chrome chrome browser is open source chrome that you download yeah. from google isn't open source but it's basic kernel what it's built on top of is chromium and that's open source so there's one tick but also mm -hmm. any website that you're being served um, is probably like a large amount of them are on Amazon Web Services. Amazon Web Services runs Linux. It's built with Linux. Linux is right. open source. Right, uh, I mean, right. Linux, Linux, people just think of it as like a, you know, a, a shitty desktop solution, um, but it's not. And it's also way more than that. Um, it's, it's Linux came, has come in hard now with like the containerization and just cloud services behemoth of the world we live in now. Um, that it runs all of that. So, I mean, literally all of the world that you're on and working with is, is open source, is relying on some degree of open source technology. Which is amazing. I don't, I don't, I don't know if, I mean, I don't, I don't think most people know what open source is. And I, don't, I certainly don't know if people realize that. Um, I don't know if, I think a lot of open source projects that, well, a lot of, I mean, I guess if you, you can think of two, if you subdivide open source projects into sponsor led and community, community led, I don't know if anyone, any, any project is really, truly community led, but you know, with. So there's Debian, the, Debian with uh, Linux is completely community led. I mean, there are some, I mean, I guess they have Drupal some. was fairly community, it's, it's, it's a fairly communitarian open source. There's. It, at various points, there have been thousands of people actively contributing to the code base. Um, and there certainly was the potential, the kind of merit, meritocratic potential for individual contributors, developers to make their mark and make their name and have influence on the project just by contributing as right. opposed to being connected. Whereas with WordPress, it's more driven by a, a single for-profit company. Not that that's a bad thing, but with Automatic, <clears throat> Matt Mullenweg kind of leading the project 
in a more centralized way, which is also fine too. Um, but there is in, I think in both places, I th and I think this is, I, I, I think this is true. Like, I think there's, there's a sense that we're, we're in this together um, as you, as kind of end users and contributors and we'll, we'll help one another. Um, and I think that will, that's a good sign for web three because with NFTs in particular, you've got what looks like I've watched it really closely over the last year. I watched it. I had a, I had, I'm hearkening. I'm kind of thinking now as through my consulting work, I had a client, an NFT client before the big NFT boom, like before people sold his, um, his, uh, montage at, at Christie's for 67 million or whatever it was his dailies. Yeah. So, um, his mosaic of dailies. So, what I mean, the, I would say one of the biggest trends is this massive corporate investment in Web3, which I actually think is a truck, sort of like a Trojan horse. Because I mean, I think it's kind of like the the reaction, the the reaction to a new tech technology trend or platform. So with TikTok is to try to monopolize it. The reaction from the centralized authorities, in other words, big corporations and governments, right? So Biden monopolizes the, you, targets 30 huge influencers on TikTok to yeah. um, help the war effort <laughs> in, the, in Ukraine. And, um, you know, Ford and GE, <laughs> are, are minting NFTs. So uh, it looks like there's a corporate takeover, but that's the beauty of Web3 is that you can't take over what you don't own. You can't. <laughs> you, it's, a, it's not, which is a little bit different than Web2 web and Web1. So um, I don't know if it's, it's hard to get, it's hard to wrap your mind around it, but um, those that's are some like, bright bright spots i guess on the horizon I, I never thought of it as a trojan horse so okay i'm gonna say it because we can throw it around and just to define it in case no one knows what it is nft stands for non-fungible token really what that means is a receipt that's all it is it's a digital receipt it's a digital receipt that says a certain wallet which is a uh essentially a place to, that owns and stores what can be exchanged on the network which is tokens you know, Bitcoin is one of the tokens um, or, you know, the NFT in this case is, you know, most NFTs are on the Ethereum blockchain, which means, for example, you know, I say that there's this web address somewhere that has a picture and a GIF or a video or something. Um, and then I write that address to the blockchain and it's, you know, who owns it, who can control it is this person you know, at the certain wallet address, and then it gets sold. And then that means somebody else now owns that receipt of, you know, uh, digital, digital object, right? Um, so that's what an NFT is. Uh, and having it as a concept, having this concept of a Trojan horse is interesting. Um, and I think you might be right, actually. And I think it, the, the driver of it is the same capitalistic corporate, uh, modern corporate uh, 
idea of the same one that's like offshoring. Like I'm going to offshore, um, you know, my manufacturing processes to somewhere where it's cheaper labor and I don't get tagged with pollution, uh, which just means even more cheaper. Um, and then so long as I can ship it, mm-hmm. you know, at a cost savings, you know, even with the higher expense of shipping it, um, I'll make money and that's fine. Never mind the fact that I'm destabilizing, um, you know, my home country or home region um, where this mm-hmm. is, because what does that matter to me? I'm, I'm more caring about the money. Um, where in this case, it's very similar mindset, which is I'm going to sell something on here because this is where the new money is and there seems to be some action here. Um, so I'm going to put money into these NFTs thinking I'm going to grow a market, um, grow my market and potentially, mm-hmm. you know, monopolize a certain corner of the, uh, this new economy. But really what it is, is it's legitimizing the exchange and use of this new digital, you know, uh, economy really, um, which then just perpetuates other people using it. And if other people learn about it and they get attracted to it, they'll learn that, well, the difference between this one and, you know, the world before is now you can make something that looks like a Disney NFT, or you can use something along those lines and now you can sell it on there. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. I like the idea of a Trojan horse. Yeah. If you, if you add up all the sports teams and, um media companies and so on that you know the from the the global fortune 5000 how many wallets have they induced the creation of among how many millions of people who at one point are going to realize oh i can just exchange nfts with some other not anonymous person that makes something cool because i like it i don't really care whether so, I mean, there's, I mean, that's, which gets into the, the branding discussion and the perception of value. Um, Everything is branding long? now though. Everything is branding. branding. Right. right. So like, I'm really good at branding. I'm actually like, okay, I'm not trying to do my own home horn here, but I am really good with branding, but I suck yeah. in branding on the web. And the reason is because I just don't give a fuck. Like I don't give a fuck about promoting the brand. I'm really good at making a brand. Right. Right. But I don't, I don't give a fuck about promoting it because I don't care about attention. Right. But with the the reason I'm trying to say that is because I think about branding constantly. And so I see it out there. And what I'm trying to say is, is that our entire economy right now is based off of branding. This whole Instagram influencer, Instagram influencer, you know, the whole I mean, the world is a stage. I'll bring it up again. The world world is a stage right now and more so than ever it has been, which is if you can create a brand for yourself, an angle, a character that can then get picked up and go viral, that means you can now make money. But the thing with Web3 that's so interesting to me is that you create a brand and now you're in control of the price around it. You just have to figure out a way of commodifying it, which in some ways- forces you to learn the art of creating a brand. Right, but a commodity- it forces you to think about how to make a brand into a commodity is what it is. That's the, that's the, that's the asterisk I put to it. So in some ways, Web3 is more capitalistic while also being more anarchistic because anyone can, can participate in it. It's trustless. Yeah. But it induces it, commoditization in the pure sense of the word, not like commodities like wheat and uh, salt, but like yeah, in yeah, the yeah. pure sense of yeah, productization. Of right. And, and in our new economy, it's knowledge. Right. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's knowledge and it's, um, 
it's packaging of knowledge. I mean, that's kind of what branding is. It's, I'll tell you a, a true story from um, the trenches of NFT marketing. I won't name the client, but uh, I had a client that uh, was wanting to put their brand into people's minds. And one of their solutions was uh, kind of an old school way of doing that, which is to hire PR web. Um, so PR web is like a, uh, it's a service that distributes press releases for you online. Um, and it's not so much that it's not so much a way of contacting or getting the brand in front of people as it is lending legitimacy to a brand, which is because it costs money to use PR web. And for the second reason, which was really interesting to me, so PR web rejected their business outright. They wouldn't do it. And I called them actually um, on behalf of my client. And I asked them, I talked to them about it. I, asked, I spoke, spoke to a really smart, smart woman who worked for PR web. And I said, why, why aren't you doing this? And she's, I said, is it, is it because it's, it's web three? It's like blockchain or NFT. And she said, no, it's, that's not it. We work with clients like that. But Basically, it's because we reviewed the business's website and it doesn't look, it doesn't feel like a reputable, trustworthy brand. <laughs> like that, that's it. It's so, isn't that funny? So, uh, the foundation of Web1, Web1 and Web, well, Web1, uh, web the website um, needs to convey the brand for an, a Web3 initiative project. She said, it doesn't, it doesn't have all these hallmarks, these classic hallmarks of Web1. I don't have founder bios. I don't have advisors. I don't wow. have an about page. I don't have like a full description. Like the work hasn't been done on this website. You haven't put the time and work. It doesn't feel real. It feels like you just threw up a threw up a web page on wordpress.com or something or Weebly. And she said, we don't do that. We don't work with clients like that. All of the press releases that we run, if you look at the website that we're, we're for of the company for whom we're distributing a press release, it looks professional. It feels, it, you can trust it. And it's true. And I looked into it. I looked at the 21 examples they gave me of other NFT and crypto projects. And yes, the websites were very well done. Excellent UX, good writing. Uh, trustworthy good design so so it is about creating the brand and you have you know in terms of like you know the business side of introducing an nft project sometimes you can get away with doing it if you have a famous name then you don't need to worry about the website right if you're people or if you're banksy or you know uh tim ferris you can just use weebly or wix but if you're not, then you need to do the work of, of branding, which is funny because, I mean, it's, it kind of goes to what you're saying, which is that it, Web3 is, if we're, you know, if we're going to take market share from Ford and GE and Disney, um, like people have to get really good at branding. Yeah, that's interesting. So like that example is like the interface between 
an emerging technology in the legacy capital, right? Which is interesting yeah. because if you grow up now and you're embedded in this Web3 world, I mean, you just look at the things that they've written. Like, what have they sold? Like, what, you know, if it's an NFT thing, like, what have they generated? What are their other NFTs? Who've bought them? You know what I mean? You can yeah. just like look at the network, right? And yeah. Be like, right. Yeah. And they're like, right. oh, okay. And then that's truly trustless because it's like, I don't care what your website looks like. I want to see the work, right? Which goes back to proof of work, which is like a whole concept with Bitcoin, right? Which is interesting. Yeah. And that's what we should be talking about. It's yes. just that. Yes. Which is that's no, what we interesting. Be talking about. You're right. Yes. Which is interesting it's in interesting this case because the trust that they're getting is just from a website. And it's like, dude, anybody can make a fake website that meets all 21 of your examples as criteria. And then your only like yeah. smell test is going through that as opposed to like actually looking at the code. It's like, a, it's like a, it's like some startups that I've worked on where it's like, they tell me this big game, they have this awesome set of things. Okay. There was one that I was consulting with actually that like, I, I, I ghosted them. I totally just stopped responding to their emails. Cause I kind of like did a cost factor analysis of like how long it would be for me to continue explaining my point through emails. And I was like, I'm just not even going to respond anymore. Um, yep. which I somewhat feel bad about, but also at the same time, it's like, I feel like my time is valuable. And every time I have 10 minutes to like send a message, I think like, I'd rather spend that 10 minutes petting my dog or going for a walk <laughs> or something like that. Your dog. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, uh, um, anyways, they had this idea of like AI and in integrating AI on a blockchain. Um, and the idea was cool. Um, but they sent me these, these decks, like these like walking decks of like what they were pitching investors with. And I was giving them feedback on it which is a very web 1.0 kind of thing, right? Like I'm looking at your mm -hmm. presentation decks uh, in this analogy, right? And there was like a bunch of things misspelled um, and there's, and I'm dyslexic. So if I'm catching that you have misspellings, that's saying something. <laughs> um, and like, you know, just like fonts were off and things like that. And like, I was like, okay, I'm going to give these guys the benefit of the doubt. Um, but like, I, they, they sent me that as like a, you know, get to know it. And I was like, cool, now can I see your code? And they were squirrely about it. And I was like, no, come on, let me look at it. Like I'll sign an NDA, like whatever you want, like, do you have it? And they wouldn't let me look at it. I was like, okay, fine. I don't need to look at it. But what, what have you done? Like, what have you gotten done as far as your mm -hmm. concept? And they want to give me any answers, which I know is startup speak for, we don't have anything that works or we don't have anything at all. Right. Um, <laughs> right. But like, they if have I like Figma drawings or something, maybe, maybe even not even that. Cause I didn't see any Figma in their uh, decks. Um, they just had these like, you know, Google Sheets uh, or Google Slides, you know, type of slideware. Um, but my point is, is that I was looking for the proof of work. I was like, show me yeah. what you've done, right? Yeah. But they they raised a couple million, and they raised a couple million through like a crypto token sale, right? And oh, wow. so they got money, but they got money off of just on walking decks alone and network of people, right? So yeah. like, but in a Web three type of world. Somebody can just be like, oh, I made this app. This app does this thing. I have it on this test chain. Go take it on this test, test chain. You can actually see what it's doing. Even if I've never written anything to a real blockchain in the world, in the real world, no one's using it. I can still show mm -hmm. you proof of what's been going on, um, which gives me so much more hope for as far as like the future. If we start thinking about things in this type of, see, like to me, I think the interesting yeah. thing yeah. about Web3 is also the thing that is makes it hard to access for most people right now. I think because it's convoluted and complicated. Um, and it's like, you have to think about the technology to really understand 
what the difference is, which is high barrier of entry to people. Right. I think that really is like, um, I don't think people understand how the magnetic strips on a VHS tape work, but they understand they plug something in and it works. And there hasn't been quite the simple UX for both a use case and an app for web three yet to get that across. Um, I think it's coming. I don't think it's quite there yet. Um, which is why we're still talking about something really in its early stages. Um, and then the other part of it is, um, you know, like, uh, like people, uh, with web three, there's a community aspect of it, which is you kind of spoke to, right. Mm -hmm. Which means it's going to attract people who are really excited and get to interface and work with other people and build things but it's also going to attract people who are looking for a community. And I think that those two yeah. aspects of it make you difficult. You have people who are like NFTs are the future and they're crazy and they're awesome. And I'm going to go buy a bunch of them. And it's like, you know, won't shut up about it. And I mean, they are cool, but a lot of it right now is hype, right? We haven't really seen mm-hmm. what's really possible with it yet. Um, so that community kind of makes things opaque. And then also it's like, I have to understand yeah. this technology, which is difficult to understand. Um, but through all of these things, you're actually able to have something that has more trust than even your example of, I'm just going to look at your website. I can just look to see what you've done, which is really mm-hmm. cool. Um, and then on, you know, on, on top of that, somebody can just enter the space and get to work in it as opposed to even now, which I mean, with some examples with you, I mean, I can now think of a, a hundred other examples. Like if I, if I put my client work up with a blockchain, it's like, and even if it's just me saying I did this work and the client signs off on it and I made it an, an NFT out there um, and it's a proof that I built some app for somebody. I mean, that yeah. would be an interesting way of uh, expressing it's how that like was done. It's like a case study, Web3 case study. Yeah, which is really fascinating. And yeah, I'm going I'm to I'm think about what I just <laughs> yeah, came up with right now idea. later. Yeah, it's interesting. I like that. Yeah, you know, it's, um, it's, and that's the advice, you know, I, I met someone that I think had, I would say was, you know, behaving more so in good faith in the startup I mentioned that wouldn't put the work into doing because they're, you know, with even with Web two and Web one, there's there's value in doing the work. Um, but so, you know, I met someone who wanted to and has wanted to build something valuable in the Web three world, not having a technical background, and I think so many questions. And I think, you know, I think the, I think the, the, you know, the, the focus for that person is you do the work in web three and let that be what speaks for you. You know, if you don't, you don't have connections, you don't, you don't have a, you know, much of a web, a web two profile or presence. Um, <laughs> there's a, there's a really funny, um, I don't know, have you heard of a musical artist named Alex Cameron? No. He's got a funny song, kind of ironically, like calling calling out his adversary for not having a, a web presence. You don't even have a web presence. <laughs> but, uh, which is a hilarious concept. It's like, do you even lift? Yeah, I know. It's like a rap battle. That's what I, I was <laughs> um, But yeah, like, like you're saying, like it's, you know, I think I think you're right. We're, it's it's Web three is in a really really early place. I do think of you know from the my experiences with it so far, particularly with the NFT world, which is really new, like three years old or so. I think it's I think it's worthwhile to look at it as long term. 
Um, and if you, if you have that baseline assumption that the way to create, go from nothing to creating value in, in web three is to play the long game, then building something is the key, you know, build, build an open C profile, build an, just, just learn how to, how to mint an NFT on OpenSea without spending $300 in Ethereum gas fees because you figure out a different way to mint an NFT on, on, on OpenSea. And um, go from there, <laughs> build, like build, build, build slowly, slowly, slowly um, and fill out the world. And I'm not, I'm not an, I, I don't consider myself really an expert in Web3 at all. I just, I just happen to have experienced it um, Kind of arbitrarily but i do think that is what we should be talking about is that's that there's a that transparency in terms of what someone actually has done is available easily available to us because of the nature of web3 i think that's really cool i think that's great yeah and okay so i'll i'll tell you like one of the use cases i wanted to bring up with talking about you talking with you so there's like the um new features of web three so like some mm -hmm. of them is um there's two things i wanted to bring up one is smart contracts which is essentially saying yeah there's protocols that you can write into the network that when conditions are met something happens so like an nft is a good example i make an nft art piece you rowan purchase my nft art piece um, for 100 ETH, right? We'll just make it easy, round numbers, okay? Mm -hmm. I have a thing on it, a smart contract written to it that, okay, so if I sell you a piece of physical art at Sotheby's, Sotheby's takes a portion of it, I get the remainder. Now, if that person who owns it sells it at Sotheby's again, the artist doesn't get anything, right? Sotheby's right. takes some and, and now this new owner gets something, right? A lot of times artwork, when an artist makes something, their early stuff sells for a lot of money because it's their early stuff, right? And then, you know, they don't make any of that money back. But if I do it as an NFT, I can write in the smart contract that 20% of all sales goes back to me, right? So I sell it to you for 100 ETH. You sell it back to somebody else for 200 ETH. Well, that means I get 20 ETH out of that right? Because I get that 20%. Um, yeah. So that's one thing, smart contracts, which is, it's, it's so fundamentally radical, dude. Like if I yeah. build an API right it's now, it says if, yeah. that, that I will sell you my, um, I have, I have, I'm building a home automation system. So I have like a, a, ther a thermostat that I built that's outside that is streaming me the weather outside um, and like the weather forecast. And it does a couple other things. Um, so nice. it calculates the phase of the moon. I'm, it's it's starting. It's gonna start getting wild wow. once I get a couple more hours. <laughs> um, so I, you know, if I sell that data to some warehouse, some weather warehouse of getting you know individual weather data um, down to like a street level, which is is quite valuable actually. Um, if I sell that, that means I have to build an API that is accessible to their API, which has the right tokens. Um, in this case, it's like, uh, you know, authentication tokens that says security layers, I can send you information, the information I sent you, you know, can be traced back to who is sending it. Um, and then it's, it's only the information you're asking for. And if I try to give you more, it'll error out and 
nothing will happen. It'll just, you know, it's ephemeral at that point. It will go away. Um, or other than maybe some like error log that's saved somewhere. Where with mm-hmm. the smart contracts, it means I just have to know how data is written onto this network. And then I can add any other conditions or things to it, which is essentially saying, instead of having an API, which is a one-to-one, you know, one network to another network um, exchange, well, the network is the exchange, which is just radically different. Like that right there is totally absolutely. Um, so there's that part of it. But the other part of it is wallets, right? So I think smart contracts is huge. But the other part of it that I wanted to bring up to you was wallets. So if I have a wallet, which is like a store of tokens, right? Um, mm-hmm. And it has an address, which is, a, is, is very similar to like a web address. It's an address on that token. And it says, this is, you know, my information. There's, you know, a, a public key, a private key, and then a crypt- cryptographic phrase. It's 24 words string together which is essentially your password. And then your private key is something you don't want. Your private key and your passphrases you don't want to give out. Like very, very big no-nos. Anyone can get it. Um, get access to it then. It's essentially like giving the keys to your house. Um, and then, you know, the exact location of your house or, you know, what what doors, you know, use what keys, right? It's like getting your keychain and then knowing that what doors know what keys. Um, but then you have a public address, which is what you use to exchange. In a future, if we're taking the long game here, there is a future world that I can envision that is not just my vision, but what a lot of people talk about with this, where instead of having usernames and passwords and email addresses that are attached to your, you know, Figma account and your Gmail account and your, you know, YouTube account, all of those things, instead of having all of that, you could just have a wallet. So if Mm -hmm. I'm on Odyssey, which is a, open source uh, blockchain built YouTube clone. If I'm on there and I'm getting ads, those ads and any type of tokenization, like that basic attention token I was talking about, go towards a wallet address that you know, because that was my way I signed in, right? But now if I go to another place like uh, Siegel, which is like a, a Substack clone that's built on the Lightning Network, right? If I go to Siegel, well, now my logged in is a wallet again. So I can go to multiple places on the internet and not yeah. have to worry about my login, right? Not have to worry about it getting hacked because so long as nobody, so long as I don't give out that 20 word phrase or 24 word phrase, um, no one could get in. So it's more trustworthy, right. more secure. And I don't have to think about having a bunch of different, hundred different passwords and logins and things. And then what are they tracking me on? Because I, I should be more... The other thing, part of it is like the paradox of the, the moment, which is it's more secure, but if you get hacked, you're, you're fucked and that whole wallet is fucked. Um, That's right. And you have to probably be more careful with, you know, doing a little bit of research on the sites, which you should be doing anyways, to be honest. Like, are they siphoning my information? Are they, you know, surveilling me? All that stuff. Right. But through doing that, you get something that is a profoundly better user experience and actually profoundly more secure should you play within the game of security properly. Yeah, more more secure and more authentically owned, I would say like more much more like more truly possessed. I think with with email that you this is really it's a really I mean it's a great vision that you're proposing where the wallet you know we have a paradigm where the the wallet becomes the the authentication as opposed to 
this what now right now we have this mishmash where you have the email address and the mobile the smartphone there's basically those two are like the kind of like core forms of identification like with with slack and substack you basically they they don't want you to log in with the username and password they want you to request a magic link to your in your email address and you go so you have to prove that you own the email address or you have the password to it um, but see, they're doing that though, because then they can tie that email address to other accounts, which means they can sell that data. And then that data can be merged somewhere to understand that Rowan, who owns this email address that's on the Slack account, likes to play basketball. And then right. from that, they can sell you, you know, the Bulls are playing an exhibition game in Berlin, right? You know what I mean? They, they, they could, that data can be joined. That's why they're right. doing that. They can connect it to something else, which they can't necessarily do, or maybe not. They can only do if you let them do, do it with a crypto wallet. I think, um, but they see, yeah, they, they could though know that you have this crypto wallet. They could know you have this crypto wallet and they could know that this crypto wallet has exchanged on these other places, these other websites and have written to the chain from that right they could have yes, a record of them. well no no it's on the chain so like your activities is just open it's on the chain there, there could be some hashing that like hides the wallet and hides the transactions and all of that stuff um but they could know some more about you right but them knowing the intimate details of your life is no longer possible to them yeah right but where where i was going with if you let them I was, re I was referencing the phenomenon I think we're seeing that I think is here to stay, which is that people tend to have lots of wallets, lots of crypto yeah, yeah. wallets. Yep. I mean, I think, I think in the future, there's going to be a version of one password that's like one wallet, you know, one, <laughs> one wallet that holds, a, the, this is probably already out there. So again, I'm not tracking the, 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 the you know, the, the token, to, token, uh, Tokonomy? Tokenomics. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how to tokenize. <laughs> There's tokenomics, but there you tokenomics. go. Tokenomics. So um yeah, yeah. So yeah, so you could you, you, you use one I mean it might it might come down to where you're using one wallet to interface with which is already happening, right? You use one wallet to interface with one one blockchain, and then for whatever reason you you've opened up a wallet on metaverse, you've opened up a wallet at uh, top shots, you've opened up a wallet on all these other places. So you end up with 65 wallets and maybe in 10 years, you'll have 700 wallets and you'll manage them all with like a wallet manager. I don't know. But see, the thing but, is, is that you could eventually consolidate those wallets to another wallet. So you have 50 wallets across all these different places. You can just transfer their assets to another wallet. Ah, uh, right? yeah, true. Right. So like you can go have all these wallets that are like interfacing and then you can transfer everything there because I also envision a day where like, okay, I don't play video games, but let's just lie to ourselves for a minute and say I play video games. Um, you know, I have all these cool skins on Fortnite. I also mm -hmm. have, you know, some cool shots on Top Shot. Um, I also, you know, have some type of crazy profile on Civilization. Um, and I've bought in all of these NFTs of basketball games. I can envision mm -hmm. like some type of interface where I... I, I consolidate all of those transactions into one wallet and then someone can now see my profile and be like, Oh my God, this guy's got all this cool shit. Like he's got like an NFT yeah. skin on Fortnite. He's got this cool gun skin. He's, you know what I mean? He bought Dirk Nowitzki's fadeaway shot. Like, 
you know, like all of this stuff, they could just yeah. see it on there. Um, so yeah, you probably will. I mean, even the brave example where I have all these different wallets, like I could consolidate those all to a single wallet and then I would know how much, uh, you know, bat I'm, you know, making every month. I don't cause it's, oh, right. it's, it's, it's not useful to me. I don't really care. Um, once I start like logging in with like Siegel and stuff, which I probably, um, will start writing which, on there and things. Which you, which you can't do if you have multiple email addresses. So, but yeah, but the other, the other point too, about the, the security side and the ownership side is that the, the de, de facto reality is that most people's email accounts are managed by, uh, centralized authorities. In other words, big corporations, um, you know, mo you know most literally most email accounts in use are you know one from one of two companies the majority from google or microsoft so um that gives you some that that in itself the, the divorcing your reliance on those those technologies for authentication is in of itself a form of self-empowerment i suppose in, a, in a, like a real sense um totally so i love it yeah i love i love your i love your overview of um smart contracts too i think that's great i mean i think i'm i think i'm with you i think that's you know that that's kind of like the you know the 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 path i think to follow in terms of how nfts in particular will start to well that is a feature of it that's something that's particular to nfts like how how um they could be more and more useful and also how they can enforce a wider array of social contracts between humans um so there's one of the one of the cool features of smart contracts that i like is the ability for an nft to be owned by multiple people um so you know the really simplistic example an nft that might be worth um, if you translate to fiat, fiat uh, numbers, it might be worth say $10,000 because it's like a piece of bank's yard or something. You can't afford it. I mean, you could, in theory, share ownership with a thousand strangers on the internet for 10 bucks and then you own part of this. Part of this. Uh, you've invested in this piece of Banksy art. That's a really simplistic example, but that's a great feature. Um, I think the, the the potential of of certifying ownership of real estate that's the big one, right? Because in the in the scope of human history, property rights and the enforcement of property rights has been really transformative. Um, especially, well, I don't know, but I was gonna I was gonna point to the Western world, especially the um, the you know, the kind of early enforcement of like fine grain property rights in Anglo cultures, I think is a big deal historically. Um, Cause it, it created uh, kind of co complex and sophisticated assets for lots and lots of people where, where they didn't have them before. Um, so if you can, I mean, I know that there's been some kind of, um, some kind of, uh, uh, showcase publicity based examples of someone I can't remember who it was someone I think it was was it the who's the guy Huff, the 
the guy who owns TechCrunch, Huffington, the, guy, the, Hoffman. the founder of, no, not Reed Hoffman. Um, I'm thinking of, can't remember, his, his name escapes me, but he sold an apartment actually in Kiev. It was about six months ago. He sold an apartment in Kiev um, as, in, as an NFT. So he exchanged an NFT. I mean, of course, at the same time, he also sold it through the traditional mechanisms where you transfer a deed that the, is recognized by the jurisdictional authorities. So, um, you know, escaping from that, I think is going to probably, it seems like a lot, it seems like a long way off, but you never know. I mean, I don't know. It's so funny. Um, like this is now, yeah. maybe it's, it's the universe trying to tell me something. Um, I'm being somewhat hyperbolic by that, but I, like I, shortly before I met you, actually, um, I almost took a job um, being the product person, which in tech speak means the person that like is responsible for getting the building, the thing, um, you know, and, mm -hmm. and making it successful. Right. That's, that's really what that means um, for a, a, a real estate conglomerate um, and titling company that wanted to do real estate titling on blockchain. Um, and then oh, it came wow. up, it came up with the blockchain interview I did with Marab Azair, Dr. Marab Azair. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it comes up quite a bit because it seems so obvious, like a great use case, um, which I think it really is, you know, but you just have to have the trust in the 1.0 world, kind of like, mm -hmm. you know, what you were saying with like, actually, you know, like titling and all that isn't even 1.0. It's not even on the web. It's all physical contracts and pieces of paper and things like that. You know what I mean? Like it's not it hasn't even made it to digital yet. So, you know, that whole thing, it makes That's a perfect right. case for blockchain, but you know, we're talking about an, an industry that isn't, but you know what that, what this makes me think about is um, like property, physical property is becoming more and more and more expensive. Um, and now that you have like, um, you know, interest rates so low and, and the kind of the COVID wave what you see like very much globally is that people purchase homes and because money was cheap, the, the homes sold for more money than they were necessarily going to be worth. But now we're at mm -hmm. a point where the supply is so low of homes that those houses are not going to go down in price, even if inflation or even if interest rates go up. Um, and then you have the entry of like BlackRock and then the failed experiment from Zillow of like actually purchasing homes. Um, so that's like corporate money coming in. So it's inflating the, the price of it, which is to say, you know, that like property ownership is becoming expensive. Um, and that was that, you know, owning property used to be the surest way of Americans having intergenerational wealth. And now I wonder, yeah, it's, it's sparking this whole like, well, is there digital ownership that you can have as a way of like, you know, conglomerating tiny little assets that build on top of each other? Um, that eventually, right. you know, become wealth that you can transfer to be something real and tangible in, in your own life and, and in your reality. Um, but, you know, honestly, dude, the two things of Web3 that I think are going to be the most revolutionary um, outside of just building apps on Web3 and this decentralized network is going to be decentralized autonomous organizations and smart contracts. And yeah. decentralized autonomous organizations are just essentially a network built on top of smart contracts that say that there's some mechanism of, of making, of getting shit done, of doing some mm -hmm. things, making some transactions that through the act of getting shit done has some type of checks and balances of 
you know, people saying yes to it or voting or some degree of, you know, an, an autonomous organization that, you know, has the rules of how it's autonomous and, and organized together um, can actually move to get things done. I think that that is going to be, I mean, which, dude, like, which again reminds one of the autonomous self-governing communities of open source software builders, builders around the yes. world agreeing to the same rules and standards and terminologies, dictionary definitions, so that they could work together and accomplish things. Um, the only difference is similar this, model. Very similar, but now the rules of it is written that everybody can see. And it's in a protocol, which really just means a syntax that everyone can understand yeah. and read to. It's 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 giving it's giving the internet a dictionary and lexicon and syntax to say these are the ways, these are some of the tools you can use. You can extend them in these ways go out and build shit with it it's i mean honestly this conversation is making me think more and more about how really what web3 is is it's creating but, a syntax for exchanging information yeah it's it's creating yeah it's creating an automatable so like i because i think the, the, a programmable syntax because that syntax does exist like in the, in the specific case of drupal.org Everything is public. Everything is on the Drupal.org website, a, you know, a, a Web 2.0 asset, including the rules of engagement, how you talk to each other, how you um, how you feel about things, how you think about things. It's all codified. The, all the the behavior for how this um, how this de facto kind of Web 2.0 DAO, <laughs> how, how it gets things done is there, but. But a DAO has an advantage over an open source software community because, yeah, like it's got a programmable, it's got programmable protocols that eliminate a lot of ambiguity and probably create a lot more efficiency and actually um, let you just build faster and, and get more done and create more uh, with, with less, I guess. Yeah, um, I would say the difference is instead of it having some type of documentation online that's dry and probably long to, in order to understand like how to do things yes. in that code base and then you submit things and then someone comments on the code and says like, don't do it this way, do it this way, this doesn't work, so on and so forth. Um, where in this other world, you could just get a bunch of error messages that say like, nope, that doesn't work and this is why. Nope, that doesn't work and this is why. You know, it's, it's a more yeah. of a, a conversational-like exchange um, as opposed mm -hmm. to like a library like exchange where I'm, you know, reading this document and trying to figure it out on my own and understand how to work with it. And, you know, maybe I get yeah. this in chat room or something like that, where in this case I can get into a chat room totally. But if I just learn how smart contracts are written, the language is written in. And if I understand that I can just read these contracts and just yeah. understand how to, how it works and how to interface with it and start building with it. Um, I don't want to, hijack the where you're going with 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 DAOs because I think that's huge. I do I do agree that you know the the DAO, the the social contract are kind of it from what we can tell now that where to pay attention to in terms of web three, in terms of NFT in particular. Um I I like the concept of DeFi. It's I like the concept of DeFi as a way to emulate what um, traditional investment platforms offer 
but in a decentralized way. So you're, so you're cutting out um, the corporate middleman when, when you're investing and buying things. So you can set up an entire market that is composed of a set of smart contracts that you can interact with to invest in the world, I guess. I think there's another social social impact of Web3 in general, blockchain in general, that I want to just run this by you to get your thoughts on this. So there's this saying that Google never forgets. Well, I think that's total bullshit. I think Google Google's purpose is to make money, not to not forget. So they're they're only going to remember the, as the long NSA as they would like to have a call. <laughs> they're, they're only going to remember things if it's interesting to them. And not only it's that, all interesting but to them. We're, we're, we're seeing a phenomenon now. Well, that's, but is, if it's profitable, if it's, so not just remember, but make that memory, memory accessible to us if it's profitable to them. So then maybe they never forget, but if we can't access it, who cares? If it's, just, if it's sitting, you know, it's sitting in an encrypted database and there's no like interface with the information, Google does forget as far as I'm concerned. So I don't like I don't like that saying. I don't think mm, it's but true. But it doesn't though. What do you it mean? It doesn't. It doesn't forget. Um, well, so Google's what like the way that their entire monetization and surveillance strategy is set up is to create the most ephemeral, the mo- create the most ephemeral experiences, impactful in the smallest amount of time possible. Which the way that they do that is by having deep learning which means it takes an, a massive amount of information um, and it tries to draw the most amount of connections. And then the most amount of connections that it creates, um, it then uses to generate a probability of what you're most likely to do based off of that ephemeral experience. So like if I'm serving you up at, uh, search results, um, I wanna give you search results that are close, that are twofold. I wanna shoot two different aims. One aim is I want to give you ones that'll keep you interacting, coming back and feed your you know, use of this platform. And then two, mm-hmm. I want to have you drive you to the experiences that create the most amount of money for me, which means I need, if I know more information and more data from you, um, the more that it will be able to serve you things to a degree. So if you have a photo, if you have a series of photos in your Google photos from five years ago, that are you with your dog, um, it's not going to forget that you have those and it's going to use those to serve you up ads. And then if you never click on dog ones, then it will have that linking, but it won't and, weigh it as well. And if you lose your, if you lose your device that you had five years ago, doesn't matter, dude, it will, doesn't exactly. matter. Exactly. That's exactly my point. So uh, yeah, I, 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 buy, I, I buy your premise and I think that's an important premise and I, I'm not fully aware of it. So it's interesting to hear you talk about it, but I, I completely accept that it's in their interest to actually not forget what I meant by, by um, attacking the premise is that what the premise supposedly means to the average user is the average person on the street is that the Google interface that you can search and easily look at never forgets, but that's actually what I'm taking issue with. I think it's actually because of, because of, um, I think what's presented to you as an end user isn't complete. And I think it's focused on the present. It's focused on the ephemeral experiences mm-hmm. you're talking about that are present based. 
I think that most of the, I think actually, for example, there's someone did a study on this, the guy, um, what's his, I'll, I'll, I'll dig up the, the website. Um, it's uh, something votes. Um, there's a, there's a vote tracking website. So this guy gave a talk, he did research on political um, articles and data accumulated and published on the web in the aughts. A lot of it's not available anymore, just not available. So like um, if you look at a New York Times article from 2013, which um, states, not doesn't just imply, but states that Assad staged a chemical weapons attack uh, within his own country. Um, that's what you used to see when you Googled it and then when you read it. But now if you go to the article, it's been changed because it's irrefutable evidence that mm -hmm. it was a false flag has come out that forced the New York Times to retract that. So that's the problem with, where's where I'm going is that the problem with web one and web two is that because Google's searchable index of web one and web two can be easily manipulated and erased, it's as if Google does forget in terms of the end user experience, even though- Ah, the end user experience, yes. Yeah, yes, the but end with user, web three, that for the end user, it forgets or uh, yeah, so which is uh, really hoodwinking prevents you memory. It's, it's hoodwinking you and manipulating you, right? It so is. It, yeah, it's it's lulling it you to forget. It's actually making you forget, is what it's doing. But but I, John, I want I want to go on the blockchain in 2013 and see exactly what the New York Times yeah, wrote about exactly. Assad supposedly yep. conducting chemical weapons attacks. Mm -hmm. That's one of the, I think. So I think there's a social benefit to Web three too that. I think it could be really important in terms of cataloging information because we have this problem of erasing the web. The web we have a web 2.0 and web 1.0 has a, has a big problem, which is we we erase the past, even the past from five years ago or, or ten years ago, especially. We're so focused on the on the present. So I think I hope that that is a benefit. I mean, there's other drawbacks to just continually accumulating data. You know, there's the ecological impact. You know. Do we re recreate the difference engine somehow? Are you familiar with the difference engine? The the book about the cyberpunk book with William Gibson um, that William Gibson co-authored where uh, and Neil with Neil Stevenson where they create a digital computer with steam engine. No, power. That, sounds, that sounds right up my alley. No. Yeah, yeah. So maybe maybe we'll have to do that to create an ecological web three, but the whole argument, I'm, I mean, I'm, I don't know. I'm bracketing I actually, the whole argument, the whole argument that web three is, is, is less eco than web two. I mean, that's no, I mean, I, I think that that's like fundamentally silly. flawed. I also think that everything creates energy. And I think the incredible revolution with even Bitcoin is it's commoditizing energy and energy storage and energy generation past the point of it being done. Um, and, and because it's becoming, it's actually putting a value on just running energy. Um, it's creating really interesting things where like the, if you look at the, the uh, I can't think of the basin right now, but if you look at North Dakota, the fracking that's happening there, if you actually look at a um, image of it at night, it looks lit up as if it's like a massive mega city, the whole state of North Dakota and part of South Dakota. It's just really? incredibly bright. Um, and the reason is because of all of the flare um, like when you frack, you're going to have ac excess natural gas that's going to come out that you can't capture. So what they do is they just burn it and they just have a pipe that's just burning the ac excess uh, energy. Yeah. Well, what now yeah. AMCO is doing 
is they're now going to start partnering with with Intel to create Bitcoin mining rigs. So instead of burning the energy and doing nothing with it, they're going to still burn the energy, but they're going to use it to power Bitcoin mining, which so they're actually going to be making money off of it and then feeding into the Bitcoin network with energy that would be wasted otherwise. So I think you're going to see a lot more of that because you're actually creating an incentive for green energy or more efficient use of energy. Um, so, I mean, is it, does it cost energy and does it costing, is it demanding more energy than what we currently have in the grid? Yes, but it's also going to force innovation. Um, and really we should, what we should be talking about is making more smarter use of energy um, rather than doing that. But we yes. bracketed. Um, I, we do bracketed have to, big time. I do have to go, but this is always a pleasure. Sure. Sure. No, and we left it on an, so on an interesting at an interesting point. Um, I also have to go, and uh, I don't regret a single bracket. <laughs> Neither do I. It's fun. Thanks for, for taking the time. Thanks for again. bracketing with me. Yeah, yeah my yeah, pleasure, yeah. John. It's been super, super interesting, and thank you for all the ideas. I'll, I'll follow up with some notes that maybe that would be helpful for your show notes. But man, um, very interesting conversation. Yeah, always a pleasure, man. Thank you. Mm-hmm.